world cannot transform you. It is trying to conform you through constant pressure. But God wants to transform you by a miracle that, that is sudden. A miracle that can actually be instantaneous. You can go from sorrow to joy. You, you can go from suffering to, to healing and pleasure and delight in the Lord. I don't know how God does that, but he does it. He has transformed the hell of so many people into a literal heaven in their life. And God has done that. He's, he's transformed our minds in a moment. You know, it's like the beautiful song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It happened in a moment for John Newton. He saw it. The revelation came to him, and he had a right mind. There was a demon in a particular graveyard that had to be chained up because he terrorized the people and cut himself with the stones and he would even snap the chains. The demons in him were so strong. That's what these demons did to him through time and through abuse. But in one moment, beloved, Jesus Christ arrived and put that man in his right mind. No longer demon-possessed. No longer living an abused life, but he was set free by the power of God. This Jesus Christ is here this morning to transform us, to keep us free, to keep us liberated in, in, his, in his ways. And, and so in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is begging the believer. He's begging us. Listen, if you want to have a renewed mind, I'm begging you to present yourself, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I'm begging you to do that so that you will not be conformed to the world and the transforming power of God can happen in your life. All you got to do is present it and God will do the transforming. Now, that transformation and to not be conformed to the world occurs by the renewing of your mind in verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it is through the renewing of the mind that you are able to prove. That means to give evidence of what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God. God wants to do something in your life that transforms you. It is the renewing of your mind, and when your mind is renewed, then your life is going to give evidence to everyone watching that something has happened to you divine. God has touched you. He's touched your home, touched your family, touched your life, and the proof is going to come forth in this, that is good, that is acceptable. That is perfect. That is the will of God. So what is that? What is that? There's a lot of people who may come to religion. There's a lot of people who may come to Jesus, if you will. And not so much with a renewed mind, but just a religious mind. And, and the track record of that is, is that Christianity can be extremely abusive. Extremely painful. Christians can be hard people to live around because they're critical. They have such high standards. 
But God wants to do something in our life that transforms us so that we're able to give evidence that what God is doing in us is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It is the will of God. What is that? What is it? And I'm grateful because verse 3 is the answer to what that is. It is the answer to what God is speaking to us about. For I say, ties us to verse 2, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. A renewed mind is a mind that is not going to think more highly of oneself than he ought to think. Instead, he's going to think soberly because God has dealt to him a measure of faith. What does that mean? Well, the first part of verse 1 tells us, I beg you therefore... The therefore ties us to something that was said before that. And I want you to see that in chapter 11, verse 30. And it says, for as you in time past have not believed God. That was every one of us at some point in our life. We did not believe God. Might have believed in a God, but we didn't believe God. Yet now, or have now obtained, you didn't work for this, right? It was a gift that you received. You have obtained mercy. For God, or or mercy through their unbelief. Even so, have these also now not believed that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beg you, therefore. I beg you, now listen to me, I'm just, I'm talking to you as Christians this morning. I'm talking to us as believers this morning so that we can live in such a way that God will have a means by which he can give evidence to a world that is confused and conformed, all to the same type of thinking, that God would be able to provide solid evidence to prove to them that there is a good and acceptable and perfect way, which is the will of God. And in order for that to happen, we've got to have a renewed mind by which we're transformed. And that renewed mind is expressed in not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's the renewed mind. It's humble. You don't look down on people. You're not judgmental of people. You're not going to be critical of people. You're not looking for what's wrong with everybody else. You're not looking for what's wrong with the church. You're not looking for what's wrong with that family. 
You're not looking for what's wrong with them or how they're doing that. And I don't agree with that and I disagree with this. Since the days of Pentecost, or at least not long after that, 2,000 years ago, it didn't take very long for the church world, religion of Christianity, begin to divide itself and put itself in various sects, if you will, different groups and divisions. And we would do that over many, many different reasons. And then the church would become so abusive. This particular group would be different than this group. And we were right by God and you were wrong. And we would stand to defend that. And we would not associate ourselves with you because you were different than me. And these divisions would begin to come. And we would think of ourselves better. My group is better than your group. My family is better than your family. My church is better than your church. Our music is better than your music. I like this better than I like that. I like our way better than I like your way. I like Peter better than I like Paul. And I like Apollos better than I like Peter. And someone comes around and says, well, I just like Jesus better than them all. As though they're very pious ones. And Paul said, it's all carnal and babyish. And it doesn't need to go on in the church. All of this division. You see, in in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God created us, male and female. And when he created us, he invested with us these desires. One is to have dominion over the earth. And another innate ability was to glorify God, to bear his image. And then another innate ability that man and woman had was the ability to procreate and to reproduce. And when man sinned, the sin of that came into us and it corrupted those innate abilities. And now, because of that, man, even in the church world, if we're not careful and we don't have a a humble attitude towards ourselves and one another and God, then we could become very abusive. I will form my Christianity after my image. I am right In the name of God. And you are wrong in the name of God. And Christianity has suffered from that attitude from centuries and even millenniums. Christianity has suffered from that. And instead of the world looking at Christianity and seeing what is good and acceptable and perfect and proven, they see Christians fighting one another. They see Christians angry with one another. They see Christians destroying each other, prodigals running away and fearful to ever come back because I know that if I do, they're going to beat me up over there. They're not going to accept me. They're not going to love me if I come back. How did that ever occur in, in God's Christianity? It was never his intention. It was the high-mindedness and the pride that would enter into Christians that, that we would forget that we were once not believers in God, that we were once away from God and only by God's mercy were we allowed in. Only by his mercy, but yet we've been in this for five years or 10 years or 20 years. Or I've been in this for 50 years and now I've been in it so long I have a right to be here. I have no more right to be in this now than I had the right to be in it when I was dead in my sins. The mercy of God brought me in and the mercy of God keeps me. And if I can give that mercy to people, then my God, people can see something that is good and acceptable to God. Something that the world is looking for. Jesus said, this is how all men are going to know you're my disciples. Because you love one another. Oh, that love of God and the reach of God and the help of God in our life. 
When you look back at Romans chapter 12, there are so many things that are here. The Bible says right off the bat in verses 4 through 6 that, listen, you're a part now of a body that has many members. There are many things. There are many things to do. And guess what? You're not going to get to do everything. And guess what? Listen, church, you're not going to get to do everything you want to do. There are going to be some things that you think you do better than others. There are going to be some things you think you have a right to do. But don't be high-minded. Don't think you're entitled. Don't be upset. Don't be offended. Don't carry a chip on your shoulder when something doesn't go your way. Humble yourself. Don't think so highly of yourself. It's that attitude. If we could renew our minds and we don't think so highly of ourselves, but we would think so highly of God, even to the point where I begin to regard you more than I regard myself. Well, that takes a miracle of God. And I just want you to see this as he goes down because God has given many gifts and he's given many graces into the church and we're supposed to operate according to those measures of faith. And then he goes on, and I want to say this in verse 9. I'm just going to skip through this. Let love be without dissimulation. If you don't have a renewed mind, you won't do that. Abhor what is evil. If you don't have a renewed mind, you won't do that. Cleave to what is good. A renewed mind will do that. Be kindly affectioned. In honor, prefer one another. Don't be slothful or lazy in verse 11. Have a fervent spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Continue instantly in prayer. Picture Moses every time a conflict came up. Every time he was rejected. Every time the children of Israel despised him and wanted to kill him and get a new leader, what does Moses do? He just falls on his face and prays. It's this constant pressure. Hey, let's go deal with Moses. Well, you know what he's going to do. He's just going to fall on the ground and pray. You know, and then God's going to answer him and judge us. You know, um, that, that was what Moses did. That was his constant posture before God. Verse 13, distribute to the necessity of the saints. We're not going to do that without a renewed mind. Give yourself to hospitality. Okay, now verse 14, it really gets into this. Bless those who persecute you. Come on. I need a renewed mind to do that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What? I'm not very happy today. I don't feel like rejoicing. I had a bad week. That's what my mind would say. But a renewed mind would rejoice with you. Our renewed mind would weep with you if there's something that you're going through. Be of the same mind. That's a renewed mind. The same mind, one toward another. Don't mind high things. Condescend to men of low estate. Don't be so wise in your own conceits. Don't recompense evil for evil. Verse 18, if it's possible, live in peace with all men. Don't you be the problem. Don't you be the instigator. Don't you be the one who's griping. Don't you be the one who's causing the division. If it's possible, whatever power you've got, pursue peace. This is the beauty of God. That's what a a new mind does. Don't avenge yourself. The Bible says in verse 20, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. Give them something to drink. Imagine that. Imagine if Christians live that way. 
Imagine if not just in church we came and we sang our songs and we would get along all so well because I, I know that I only have to put up with you for an hour and a half. So, so I can just grit my teeth and get through this. No, imagine if we authentically loved each other. Imagine that if, if there was a work of the Holy Ghost that renewed my mind and transformed my life, that I really did care about you, and I cared about my enemies, and they were hungry, and I would, I would go out of my way to feed them, and I would go out of my way to give them something to drink, and when everybody's looking at me because I've been so abused at work, and I have every right to retaliate, but I don't. Instead, I bless them, and I love them. Then the whole world would get back, step back and say, I don't understand you. You're not normal. You're not right. And you have an opportunity now to share Jesus Christ. And people would begin to say, that's how I I would think Jesus would live. By the way, think of the impact that we would have upon the world if the church lived this way among itself. It is absolutely beautiful. Overcome evil with good. Don't overcome, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do good things. Anybody can do bad things, but Jesus does good things. We're talking about his life. I want you to turn very quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is also speaking to the church. And the Bible says in verse 1, this know also, and, and brothers and sisters, we are living here right now. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. This is the church world. This isn't the world. The world's always been like this. This is what it's going to be like in the church at the end times. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And here's the issue. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof from such turn away. Because they're going to creep into your house. They're going to do everything they can to lead you away. They're going to learn and learn and learn, increasing in knowledge, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Beloved, in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, it's, it's certainly not a lack of holiness in the last days. But it's a lack of power. It's a lack of the reality of power. It's a lack of the reality of God's life because the greatest demonstration of Jesus through our life is our ability to be kind to one another and to love one another, to be helpful to one another, to be hospitable to one another, the ability to make sacrifices for our enemies, the ability to do things in this world that people are just not willing to do because it's beneath them to do that. Christianity, of all people, should be putting an end to racism. Christianity, of all people, should be fighting the fight against human trafficking. Christianity should be involved in every aspect that it can in the dark recesses of politics. Christianity should be there with the light of the world. 
expressing Jesus Christ in every area of this world that it could possibly get into. And we have authority to get into every area of the world because wherever we go, Jesus is there in authority everywhere we go. But this form of godliness, this this boasting, this fighting, this arrogance, this pride. How many of you would say that you would say, you know what, I just want the love of God. I want the power of God to be in me. I want the power of God to be in me that transforms me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to have an outward form of religion. Maybe I could fool people and people would think that, you know, oh, he's such a, he's, he's really such a godly man. It, it doesn't matter to me what you think of me when I know in my own self what I really am. And when I know in my own self what I really am, I am desperate for mercy. I don't deserve anything. I, I, I'm not entitled in my own performance. I'm not entitled to anything. I ask God every week, why in the world do I come up here? What is my right to do that? I need the mercy of God. And beloved, if I need the mercy of God so badly, why would I withhold that mercy from other people? Paul even said in Romans chapter 12, he, he talked about people that don't have a renewed mind. You know what they actually want? They want God to give justice to people that are hurting them. Imagine that. God, I want you to give them what they deserve. And what if God were to say, okay, before I do that to them, do you want me to give you what you deserve? No, God, we're not talking about me. We're talking about them. This is what I want you to do to them. How, how can we even begin to, to desire that upon other people or other situations when we ourselves have been the recipients of such incredible mercy? Incredible mercy. I don't have time to read it, so I'm just going to talk to you about it. And I, I just pray that this will sink into your heart, your spirit, and your life. Because really, guys, this is a new covenant ministry. And everything I'm talking to you about is the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Because the old covenant is a covenant of laws. It's a covenant of works. It's a covenant of do this or else. And so therefore you try with all of your might to do it. But the new covenant is a relationship with God where God through the power of the Holy Spirit gives us grace, gives us power, actually lives the life of Jesus inside of us. And that's what's so amazing. How do I have this kind of love? How do I have this kind of desire for people? How in the world could I humble myself and consider others as better than myself were it not for a living God who actually lives inside of me? Because I can't live that way or feel that way towards people. And God actually does transform our lives like that. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 towards the end of the chapter. And Corinth has been in horrible sin. There's been a lot of things that have gone on in their church. They've had immorality. The church at Corinth, get, it, it, they would get drunk at their, at their dinner on the grounds. They, they would gorge themselves with their own meals, but they wouldn't share their food with people sitting right beside them that were hungry at their dinner on the grounds. They fought over who was the best teachers, which one had the best church, if you will, which one had the best worship, which one had the best music. They hated Paul. They allowed false teachers to come into the church that hate, and, and made them hate Paul. 
And they told them that Paul really wasn't a real apostle. He was, a, he was an imposter. He was false. And, and the church at Corinth actually believed it. And Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians to this group of people. And he says, you know what? The more I love you, the more you hate me. So he said to them. This type of abuse of Christianity did not spawn itself over in the last hundred years or so. It was back then. The more I love you, the more you hate me. So you know what I'm going to do to you because I love you more and you hate me more? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love you more. The more you hate me, it just causes my heart to grow for you in more and more love. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, towards the end of that chapter, he writes and he says this. He said that my ministry, and I'm paraphrasing this, but my ministry is to make you happy. Because if I don't make you happy and I make you sad, who's going to make me happy? So I desire for you to be glad in Jesus Christ. I desire for you to be glad in your faith. I desire for you to be comforted in your faith. I don't want to come and do you harm. I want to come and lift you up and I want to come and I want to bless you. And so the church at Corinth had dealt with a matter of sin in the church and they handled it well. And Paul was applauding them for the way that they handled this matter. And, and the young man that was in sin, he was removed from the church. He was excommunicated, if you will. The church told him to leave because of his sin. And he left. And while he was gone, because they turned his soul over to Satan. That's strong, isn't it? But he did it for the purpose of his soul being saved. That the, the young man, the boy, became convicted. And when he was convicted of his sin and realized that he needed to repent and turn to God, he did. And so, so now this young man who was kicked out of the church has had a work of God in his life. His mind's been transformed and renewed. And now he's trying to come back to the church. But all they know is, as Paul said, to get him out. So Paul's writing back in his second letter and he said, wait a minute, this is what we wanted to happen. So we want to let him back in. We don't want to keep him out. We're not trying to make Christianity, you know, this, this type of religion that once you mess up, you're out forever. No, 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 that's not what we want to do. We want to help people walk with God. We want to help people walk with Jesus. So Paul says to the Corinthians, I need you to do these three things. I need you to confirm your love for him. I need you to accept him. And I need you to forgive him. I already have. Now that is a, that, that is a Romans 12 New Covenant ministry. Even though you Corinthians hate me. This young man has been converted back to God from a life of sin. And I need you to love him. I need you to confirm it. That means I might need you to sit beside him in church one day. Put your arm around him. And actually say words to him. I am so glad you're here. I love you. What can I do to help you? How are you suffering? Because Paul goes on to say 
if we don't do this, we know that Satan will come in and get an advantage of us. And we don't want to give Satan an advantage. Our ministry is life and not death. So I ask you this question because I think it is so relevant to be asked. What is it about your life that is proving, that is giving evidence to the world that the way of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect? And when we begin to love and serve and sacrifice in such a powerful way of Jesus' life, that we can not only love those who love us, but we can love our own enemies and do things that nobody else in society is doing as far as the way we treat one another. That instead of abusing one another or criticizing each other or judging one another because they don't live up to my form of Christianity, then I'm going to cast them out. If we were to begin to live in such a way that helps people walk with Jesus and walk in their faith and shows unconditional love, that demonstrates patience, that demonstrates kindness, that demonstrates all of these godly qualities of sacrifice to one another, because I really want you to make it. And I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to talk about you, and I don't want to exploit you when I see something wrong with you. I was asked to come into a group of ministers in Mississippi that were counseling together about a local minister who had fallen into sin. And as they were dealing with this situation, the reason it got out of hand is because this minister that had fallen into sin was becoming extremely aggressive and angry and belligerent. Social media and throughout town about other ministers and pastors. And I said, I said to them, you know why he's doing that, don't you? You know why he's doing this. And, and they just looked at me and they said, I'm not sure. Why do you think he's doing that? And I said, because nobody's giving him a future. There's no future for him. What he has done, he even knows he has no future. But every one of you have taken his future away. He's going to be destroyed at your hands. And he wants to take with him as many of you as he can. But if you want to help this man, then go to him. And you sacrifice yourself. You humble yourself. And even if one of you preachers is seen with him, and oh my gosh, what would people say? Probably what they did with Jesus around sinners. And you go to him and you humble yourself before him and say, listen, I am here to help you. I am here to help you have a future and have a hope and have a life I'm here to let you know that I love you. I have loved you. I will continue to love you. I'm here to let you know I will be a friend to you and I will stick close to you and I will stand beside you. And if people strike you, they'll have to strike me. If you want to walk with Jesus, that's the only question. 
Do you want to walk with Jesus? And if you do, I will live with you and I will help you and I will fight with you to have a future again. And he said, he would say, how would I even have a future again? And I said, because God is the one that gives us a future. Just like the woman at the well. Just like the woman caught in the sin of adultery. And what about you? What if somebody found out about your secret sin? What would they do with you? And, and that's the fear that so many people have. You walk into a Christian church and you think, oh my gosh, everybody can see right through me. I don't belong here. Of all the places in the world, you belong in a place where you have access to God. So one of the pastors went to him, extended to him love, extended to him help, asked him that one question. Just let me know, do you want to walk with Jesus? That question melted him and he broke for the first time, weeping uncontrollably. He said, do you think I ever could? And he said, you're the one Jesus came for. You're the lost sheep that he went after. Of course you can walk with Jesus again. And I will help you. His whole attitude was transformed by the renewing of his mind in that moment. Imagine that. Imagine the prodigals that are out there today that the devil is beaten up on. And all they want to know is this. Will you love me? Will you forgive me? Will you accept me? Because you know what? I got to be really honest with you. Uh, some of these Christians, they're, they're not very accepting once you mess up. Well, Jesus is. Thank God. Because every one of us have messed up time and time again. And he loves us. And he helps us. And he promises a future for us. And I just say to you this morning with all of my heart, that beloved, if we don't have a renewed mind and we walk around with pride and arrogance and haughtiness and we think we have a right to this and a right to that and I deserve this and they're beneath me and they're below me and they don't measure up to my Christianity and I'm a lot more holy than them, then we will continue to see the weak Christianity we have watched for decades and we'll watch this darkness continue to take our city and our state and our nation. And the only hope this nation has is the power of God within his people. And I would ask you with all of my heart if you would desire for that power to live in your life because it's going to mess you up. It's going to mess you up. It's going to make you love your enemy. And you really don't want to love your enemy right now. You don't want to withhold mercy from them, but maybe a little strike of lightning would be all right. Don't kill them. Fry them a little bit. I get it. But how many of you would say this morning, I want God to really mess me up? Because this life that people are living without God is not worth it. And I want to live a life that honors the Lord. I want you to stand with me. I want you to listen to me for just a moment while you're standing. I'm not asking you to anything but to come and worship God. I'm just, I'm, I'm begging you in Romans 12, 1 style. I'm begging you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable worship. That's all I'm asking you to do. That's all we can do is just come and I'm laying myself before you, God. I'm yours. There is no freedom unless there is freedom from self. Where do wars and fightings and strife come from? They come from within you. Because you lust and you have not. You desire, but you have not. Let me just say, God, I desire to be content and to walk in faith with whatever it is that you give me. I want, I want to serve you and I want to serve people. I want a transformed heart. And I want to transform life by a renewed mind. And if you just ask the Lord, I, I really do desire for you to just really shake my life completely up because right now the bitterness and the anger and the unforgiveness, the distance with my spouse, the sadness and the depression that's in our home, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it, God. And I'm wanting them to change. I'm wanting that to change. I'm asking you to do a work in me. I'm asking you to do a work in me that I could bring hospitality into my, my home and my workplace and my life and kindness. And that I can make sacrifices out of joy. That I can, that my love would be real. Oh God, my, I, I, I faked my love for so long. At this form of godliness. I don't, I don't want a form of godliness. I don't want to impress people. I know what's in my heart. I, I know what's in my spirit, Lord. And I need the power of God in my life. How many of you just say that? Be honest with God and just come up to this altar and present yourself to the Lord. I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself. It's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just ask God, transform me. Take me from misery to joy, from sorrow and suffering to rejoicing and gladness and happiness. It's good to walk with you. You're a good God. Christianity is not ugly. Walking with you is not abusive, Jesus. It's beautiful. And I want to walk with you, and I want people to see it. I want them to see how wonderful it is to walk with you. And if there's anyone here this morning who has suffered from the rejection of Christians, you have not measured up, you have not been good, and you even know yourself that you have not lived right. But you have renewed your mind. There's a turning in you. What will happen? What will happen if I turn towards these people? What will they do with me? I can tell you, we will accept you. We will forgive you. We will confirm love for you. For the mercy that we have received is the mercy that we will give to you.
no one in this room is greater than another. No one in this room is better than another. We're all the same. We all need his mercy. You will find it today. I'm reaching out to you in the name of God, with the love of God, who desires to give you hope, peace, and save you from the abusive God who's seeking to manipulate and destroy your life. You don't have to let it happen. And if that's you, if you know a believer that's here, maybe you'd like to share that with them. I'm tired of where I've been and I'm tired of what's been going on with me. And I don't want this anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I want the power of God in my life. If, if you have no one, come to me. I'll be delighted to pray with you, to help you. You are loved. Your life is extremely valuable.